Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor David, and it is my privilege to bring the, a message from God's Word. Pastor Jeremy was actually teaching this uh, Friday night, uh, so he's taking a break as a result of that. So it's my privilege to do the sermon this morning. Now, out of curiosity, how many of you know what those banners are? There are four on the right side and four on the left side. Does anyone know what those are? Kim cannot answer that question. <laughs> Anybody else what those are? Shout it out. What is that? All right. Well, we introduced those back in January. They represent the eight characteristics of disciple makers. Here at Midland Free, we are all trying to grow and become disciple makers of Jesus, meaning that disciples who make disciples, who in turn make disciples, and so on. As a result, there's a movement that is created that keeps on multiplying and hopefully becomes unstoppable and then spills over into our communities, our region, and the world. So there are four of them on the right side and four of them on the left side, and I will talk about two of them. Uh, this this morning, and and so watch out for those. And both of them are right here on on this side. All right, let's begin with a well-known quote by a well-known person by the name George Verber. He founded the Operation Mobilization, a very large mission organization. And in his day, he was a, when he was a young man, he was very famous worldwide. And here's what he said. Where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later there will be a mess. It looks like some of you agree, whereas others don't. But ever wonder why this is the case? You see, we are not talking about unbelievers here. But born-again believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who convicts them of sin and brings them to repentance, who guides and directs them, and who brings about unity among them. The Lord's people. Yet, when two or three are gathered together, sooner or later, there's a mess. Furthermore, Jesus himself had prayed that believers will be in complete unity so that the world may know that God the Father had sent him. That's in John chapter 15, his priestly prayer. Even so, one of the saddest aspects of the church down through history is this disunity. In fact, that's what was happening in the churches in Galatia that prompted the Apostle Paul to write this letter to them called the Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians. You see, the churches in Galatia were founded by the Apostle and his fellow missionary by the name Barnabas during their first missionary journey. As you will see in the map on this big screen, 
Galatia was a province, whereas Ephesus was a city. Galatia was a province. Corinth was a city. Galatia here is a province. According to the New Testament book of Acts, chapters 14 and 15, Paul and Barnabas visited three towns in that province. You can see them on the, on the picture. Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, And preached the gospel message there, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 and 3, we read this. Now at Iconium, they, meaning Paul and Barnabas, entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What I want to focus on is that in these verses we see that churches in Galatia were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Now you will see another picture up on the screen. In other words, these churches were founded by these, I'm going to call them the three pillars of faith. Christ alone, faith alone, and grace alone. Made up of Jews, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And then, something happened. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, we read this. That they were getting along so well for some time. Paul writes, you were running so well. Then something happened that disrupted the peace and unity there. So Paul asks, who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see, what had happened is that the Jewish Christians began to insist that grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone salvation is not sufficient. And that circumcision, observance of the Mosaic law and special holidays, Jewish holidays that is, must also be added. And that led to a conflict in the church. As we read in Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 to 15, you will see up on the screen. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the key verse. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You see, in other words, the conflict had escalated to a point that they were biting and devouring one another. Obviously concerned, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to them, affirming once again his theology, his doctrine, 
the pillars of his faith, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Now let's take that and ask, how about Midland Evangelical Free Church? And again, I have created a picture. You know, I'm kind of a visual guy, so I'm creating some of these pictures. You see, our church is like this. They had only Jews and Gentiles. And we have people coming from all kinds of different denominations. Let's look at some of them. Some of them I, have, I may have missed. So if I had missed your denomination, pardon me, forgive me. Okay. We are made up of Catholics. Lutherans, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Methodists, Baptists, Pentecostals. If you see people raising their hand, they're probably Pentecostals, right? Non-denominational. Non-religious. In fact, some of you don't even know when I use the word denomination, what exactly what that means. Because you are either non-religious or you grew up in non-denominational churches where they never talked about denomination. So as I reflected on this, I said to myself, like the churches in Galatia, our church is perfectly set up for conflicts. Do you agree? So the question is, how do we run well together over a long haul, obey the truth, and maintain unity? How do we run well together over a long haul, obey the truth, and maintain unity? In fact, our church has done a few things. So let me show you some of the things that we have done. First, we have committed ourselves to the statement of faith of our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, or EFCA for short. We are very upfront that we are, in fact, a denominational church. It's called the Evangelical Free Church of America, or the EFCA, and we are required to sign off on their statement of faith. You know, over the years I have seen many different statements of faith, but one of the things that I like about the EFCA statement of faith are these two. It majors in the major or foundational doctrines of our faith and minors in the minor doctrines. Secondly, it calls for unity in the essential doctrines of our faith and gives others charity regarding the non-essentials. Number two, we have established sound doctrine as a core value, meaning a non-negotiable here at Midland Free. So if you go to our website and look at the core values, and you will see this, it is defined in this manner, sound doctrine. The Bible instructs us to persist in sound doctrine because if we do, God will save both ourselves and our hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16 Further, the Bible warns us to watch out for teachers of, uh, teachers of false doctrines. 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4 and 1 John 1. There are scriptures there 
So what it says, watch out, rebuke them, Titus 1.9, and call them to repent. Romans 16, 17, and 2 Thessalonians 3.6. So it's clearly there, up front, that we are about sound doctrine. Third, we have included that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, as one of the eight characteristics of disciple-makers. It's the very first characteristic to my right, to your left. And here's how we have defined it. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. Repenting of sins and relying solely upon the atonement of Jesus Christ. Different words, but the same idea. In the sermon text this morning, the Apostle Paul instructs us to do one other thing in order to run well together over a long haul, obey the truth, and maintain unity. And that is this. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit in order to run well together, obey the truth, and maintain unity. So that's the message that I want to unpack in the sermon this morning as we continue our sermon series from the New Testament book of Galatians. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And if you are using the blue Bible here at the church, you will find that on page 1,239. Galatians chapter 5. Verses 16 through 26, found on page 1,239. Are we ready? Let's dive in. You see, in the New Testament book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read this. It's up on the screen. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Speaking of the scripture, Ken Sandy, who wrote this best-selling book called The Peacemaker, says that conflict always begins with some kind of desire. I desire something. When the desire is unmet, I demand that it be met. So I go from I desire to I demand. If my demand still isn't met, I judge and question other people's motives. So I go from I desire to I demand to I judge other people's motives. Then I attribute wrong motives to others and I punish them by inflicting verbal or physical pain on them. That's the movement or the progression of conflict. I desire, I demand, I judge, and then I punish. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and 
sorrow. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Do you ever wonder why born-again believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit do such things? In fact, the answer is found in verse 17 of the sermon text this morning. So if you look, at, look to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Now let me explain this. Again using a picture that I created. You will see up on the screen. See, what you see up on the screen is the storyline of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So first, God created everything and declared them good. There was no sin whatsoever at creation. So the box that you see is all clear. No sin. Then sin entered the world through the man and woman God created, namely Adam and Eve. And this is what we call the fall, which is represented by a box that's completely dark. Sin had entered the world. Then God in his grace took the initiative, sent his son Jesus Christ to the cross to redeem us from our sins. And this is what we call the redemption. The redeemed are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but still the sinful nature of the, the flesh is there. Very important to note that. Therefore, the box representing redemption is partially dark. The flesh of the sinful nature is still there. But it's partially clear because the Holy Spirit has come into us. Then when Jesus comes again, he will restore all things to himself. There will be no more sin or sorrow Thus, restoration is represented by the box that is all clear. All right, that's the storyline of the Bible. However, until restoration, that is, until Jesus comes again, born-again believers live in this third box called redemption in which the spirit and the flesh are both there and they are at war with each other. That's what Apostle Paul says here, that the uh, desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Now notice what the Apostle Paul is, uh, is also not saying. The, uh, the Apostle Paul is not saying that the flesh is more powerful than the spirit. He's not saying that at all. Neither is he saying that they have equal powers. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying that the flesh has more power than the spirit. Neither is he saying that they are of equal powers. If anything, he's saying just the opposite in verse 16. Look with me again to verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit. What happens then? And you will not gratify 
the desires of the flesh. What does it tell us? The believers can live without gratifying the desires of the flesh because the spirit is more powerful than the flesh. That's the hope. Sure enough, the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. They are together in Christians as we live until the restoration happens when Jesus comes again. But right now, they are at war with each other, but still the spirit is more powerful than this than the flesh, and therefore we have the opportunity to live without gratifying the desires of the flesh. Because the spirit is more powerful than the flesh. Moreover, the Greek word that is translated walk, walk by the spirit, means surrender control. Or let the other direct, in this particular case, the Spirit. So let the, surrender control to the Spirit and let Him direct your life. Then you can overcome the desires of the flesh. In other words, let me say this. If not for the Holy Spirit, you and I will have what people say, a snowball chance in hell to overcome our sinful nature, the desires of our flesh. It is because of the Spirit who indwells us that we have a hope of overcoming the desires of the flesh, our sinful nature. You know, you show me a church where there is infighting and disunity. And I will show you the people who walk by their sinful nature. On the other hand, you show me a church where there is harmony and unity, and I will show you the people who walk by the Spirit. Therefore, walk by the Spirit, says the Apostle Paul. That's the only way to overcome our sinful nature, the desires of the flesh, and maintain harmony and unity in our churches. So remember what I have said so far. I said that we have signed off on the statement of faith. We have defined sound doctrine as a core value. And we have put salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And here's the fourth thing. If we commit ourselves to walk by the Spirit, we can overcome the desires of the flesh, which cause disunity, which disrupts disharmony. Instead, we might be able to walk in unity over a long haul. Walk by the Spirit in order to overcome the desires of the Spirit. Then in verses 19 through 21, in Galatians 5, the same chapter, the Apostle Paul lists those desires or the works of the flesh. Because, you know, you see, we can, we can say that then there needs to be an indication as to what the desires of the flesh are. And he calls them the works of the flesh, and he has a list. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, 
idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The phrase things like these seem to indicate it's not an exhaustive list by any means. Some examples of what the desires of the flesh are. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there are 15 things that are listed here. And the Bible scholars actually put them in about four categories. And you will see that up on the screen. They say the first three are about sexual sins. Sexual immorality impurity, and sensuality. The next two refer to religious sins, idolatry, and sorcery. And then by far the majority of them, eight out of the 15, are about conflict among God's people. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And such emphasis by the Apostle Paul reflects what was going on in the churches in Galatia at the time. That they were biting and devouring one another. And the last two refer to drinking sins. Drinking sins. Drunkenness and orgies. If you, if you and I want to overcome these then we need to walk by the Spirit. By giving control of our lives to the Spirit and letting Him direct. Otherwise, we are in danger of being overcome by the desires of our flesh. Now let me give you three quick examples. Some of you know these stories, but some of you don't. Perhaps it's news to you. All three of them are pastors. And therefore, there's no indication that they were not born again because they have had successful ministries over the years. So I'm going to assume that they were born again believers. Now, Perry Noble was a pastor of a mega church called New Springs. Over 32,000 people came to hear his weekly sermons at 11 satellite campuses across the state of South Carolina. Huge ministry, very successful ministry, remarkable speaker. Again, I'm going to assume that he was a born-again believer as there was no evidence to the contrary during his years of successful ministry. But his failure to walk by the Spirit each and every day led to an alcohol problem. A drinking sin, if you will. That is not of the Spirit, but of the flesh. As a result, he had to step aside from a very successful ministry. 
Billy Graham's grandson, Tulian, succeeded the well-known Dr. D. James Kennedy as senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida. Again, there was no evidence whatsoever to the contrary that Pastor Tulian was a born-again believer. But he too failed to walk by the Spirit and ended up having a sexual affair with the woman who was not his wife. As a result of this sexual sin, which is not of the Spirit but of the flesh, he had to end his ministry. Mark Driscoll was a pastor of a mega church called Mars Hill in Seattle, Washington. For 20 plus years, people have known him to be a bully. In the pulpit, with the staff, and so on, which according to the Apostle Paul is not of the spirit, but of the flesh. But people tolerated it for a long, long time. Time because he was a remarkable preacher and the ministry was growing and the church was growing, forming multiple campuses and people tolerated it. As a result of him not walking with the Spirit, he could not run well and obey the truth. As a result, his church and all of the satellite campuses, many of them, I shouldn't say all, many of them collapsed when he was forced to resign. Brothers and sisters, those are the consequences of not walking by the Spirit. Spirit has more power than the flesh. And therefore, we do have hope that we can overcome the desires of the flesh, the sinful nature, and as a result, save ourselves and our churches and run well together for over a long haul, obey the truth, and maintain unity. That's the first point that the Apostle Paul was making to the Galatian church and through them, He's making to us. Walk by the Spirit in order to overcome the desires of the flesh. As a result, we might be able to run together over a long haul, obey the truth, and maintain unity in our churches. The second, Paul's second point is this. Walk by the Spirit in order to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, walk by the Spirit in order to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. You see, it's one thing to overcome the bad things in our lives, caused by the flesh or the sinful nature. It is yet another to replace those bad things with good things. So we overcome something and then put a new life together with new qualities, new characteristics, new virtues, and that's another step. And in verses 22 to 23, in Galatians chapter 5, the same chapter, the Apostle Paul lists those good things 
calls them fruit of the Spirit and says that exhibiting those in our lives would, require, would also require that we walk by the Spirit. It is, after all, the fruit of the Spirit, and therefore it requires that we walk by the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23. But the Spirit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And here again, it's not an exhaustive list because he concludes by saying, and again such things. So it's not an exhaustive list. There's no law. First notice the use of the word fruit. Rather than works that he used regarding the flesh. Works is something that we do. We all understand it. In it, we are active. We are actively doing something. On the other hand, the fruit doesn't produce itself. It's actually produced by the tree. The fruit doesn't produce itself. It's produced by the tree and the roots, you know, getting minerals and water and things like that, and the fruit appears. In other words, there's a certain sense of passivity there. Whereas the works of the flesh are active from our sinful nature, our flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, the production of it is passive that is done by the indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives, in the lives of the believers. Second, the use of the singular form, fruit, as opposed to the plural form, fruits, Again, remember, he used the word works, plural, in describing the sinful desire, the flesh, activity of the flesh. But here's just singular. Suggests that the Apostle Paul expects all of these traits to be manifested by any believer. In other words, not love in one person, peace in another person, and joy in another person. But he expects, it's one unit, the whole unit. And therefore, he expects all of these things to manifest in any believer. So, fruit of the Spirit is passive. It's done by the Holy Spirit. And then, he expects all of those to be exhibited by any and every believer. Third, whereas the works of the flesh... lead to sin and destroy fellowship. The fruit of the Spirit creates fellowship, unity, and holiness. That's why the Apostle Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You can overcome the desires of your sinful nature, the works of the flesh, and then exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. As a result, you will save yourselves, your churches, and your relationships. You know, this is why the second characteristic of disciple makers. This is, our, this is what we have included as a second characteristic 
of disciple makers. We say this up on the screen. Disciple makers live by the Spirit. Being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Pursuing a life of holiness. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit in relating with others. And shepherding others to do the same. So as we, together as a church, take steps to grow and become disciple makers of Jesus. That is, disciples who make disciples, who in turn make more disciples, and so on. Let us walk by the Spirit to overcome, in order to overcome the desires of the flesh, our sinful nature. And exhibit the fruit of the Spirit so that we can live godly lives, sinless lives, or sin-free lives as we struggle with the flesh. And we also try to shepherd others to do the same. Our hope and prayer is that a a disciple-making movement that multiplies and becomes unstoppable from within Midland Free that would spill over into our communities, our region, and the world. Let us make that happen by walking by the Spirit who indwells us. Walk by the Spirit in order to overcome the desires of the flesh, exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and thus maintain harmony and unity with the body of Christ. Can we do that? That's our hope. That's our prayer for all of us here at Midland Free. Let's pray. Father God, our flesh is truly weak, but the Holy Spirit who indwells us is more powerful than any other force in the universe. Father, help us to walk by the Spirit, yielding control of our lives to the Holy Spirit and let Him lead it. In order that that day in and day out, we are able to overcome the desires of our flesh, our sinful nature, and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in our lives in such a way that we live lives that are so attractive that others will be attracted to your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who shed blood to wash away our sins, so that we may have life and life eternal. I pray that you will do that for me, and I pray that you will do that for my brothers and sisters 
who are gathered here calling themselves people of Midland evangelical preachers. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.